0: So uh, Steve, uh, you have um, spent many years studying and teaching approaches to trauma, uh, and you have developed a new one. On your, would you maybe talk a little bit about the similarities and differences about it?
1: Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Serge. Yeah, I, I have. I've taught and continue to teach for the Somatic Experiencing Group, um, and uh, and I do that internationally. You know, and and part of what I really have enjoyed about that. Is the the honing of the understanding of what a nervous system is. You know, there are the cultural kind of overlays to that that are important that provide you know the, the resources that are unique to culture. Um, and uh, underneath all of that, there is this fundament of nervous system process and of and of the biology. And uh, and in part, you know, I think what I've begun to uh, develop was was really out of a concern to make sure that, uh, one, that I could communicate the training process in a way that was replicable. You know, I really needed to develop a step-by-step process and, and more or less a linear process to something that we would probably think of as being fundamentally non-linear. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But, but in the appropriation of the skills, you kind of have to lay it out, you know, in a scaffolded way, you know, sort of a step-by-step. And so I really began to, uh, explore then a, what I would think of as a Methodist approach, uh, because my ancestors back in Kentucky were Methodists. And so I began to develop this method. Uh, and, uh, and it was really based in something that began to emerge as I began to work with people, which is, and I also spent quite a bit of time working in the, the, uh, the therapeutic world of the Ericksonian hypnotherapy. Process in which there's a really a, a deep joining with the client and, and actually with the Jungians, really a deep uh, faith in the healing and organizing capacity of unconscious uh, mm-hmm. resources. And so as I began to explore working with people, uh, I began to look at ways that they could begin to uh, get a greater sense of organic stabilization and something different began to happen, and I began to see that there would be times when a person's system, which would, sh- would do a, a sort of a gear shift into some kind of sort of self-organizing pulsative process. And I am sure that that all of our folks that you know have been working somatically have seen that point. You know, where it gets really smooth, where there's a there is a, almost a tender pulsation and where life begins to do an unfolding on a really effortless kind of basis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I began to try to systematize, how do you get there? And and how do you allow that process without it uh, becoming too much, without it going too far into intensity and so on? Because it seemed to me like the problem with trauma therapy was that in, in using traumatic content to guide the therapy that, that the intensity was too high. I mean, we talked about, you know, one of, one of Peter Levine's great contributions, for instance, is in titration. But even so, within, uh, this notion of titration, you know, there was still the, the dependence and reliance on the notion of discharge. And, and still to this day, you know, there are, there are traditions that are looking strongly at the notion of discharge, even making sort of mechanical discharge uh, part of the thing. You know, so people are, you know, certainly, you know, it's un- not unfamiliar in bioenergetics, but there are other groups that are that are just doing regular discharge therapy, you know, doing stress physicians or whatever. And so what I began to look at was... Um, The work of therapy from a somatic perspective and from a physiological perspective that was was grounded in stabilization, but also within a framework of, uh, of complexity theory and chaos theory. You know, Ernest, <clears throat> Ernest Rossi really... Let me, uh,
0: let me just stop a little bit to get... To, you know, there's a lot of what you're saying, and so one of the things I'm noticing is that your approach is um, to look at what's happening from a point of view of observing being attuned to the rhythms of the nervous system and uh, being very much in tune with that, uh, noticing the stabilization... And having as a goal to get to stabilization and understanding that, uh, discharge is not necessarily the right way to go
1: there. Oh, exactly, exactly. And this really, you know, I came upon this the hard way because uh, I would see, I would do sessions where there was significant discharge or I would see other master teachers who would do what looked like awesome sessions, you know, and, and were awesome looking sessions. But in follow up, uh, you know, I would, I would see that Person's lives didn't really organize, uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is really one of the, the inherent dangers for the, those of us that are traveling and teaching. You know, we we go and we don't really get the longer term feedback sometimes of what happens. And um, and so uh, I was I became really committed to the notion of doing a therapy that first of all you know did no harm, and that second of all then became reliably. Focused on integrative experience. Mm-hmm.
0: And so in other words, the key, the key word there is what you were talking about that the, the therapy is about helping the client reorganize.
1: Yes, yes. And, and that reorganization is, is actually what I'm trying to attune to in the moment. That is, I am trying to see the signs that are the systems and the subsystems of the tissue and the bone structure and and the respiration, the coloration, all of these different autonomic signs that suggest a system that is trying to self-organize.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I am, and I'm teaching folks to specifically reinforce at those moments of intrinsic reorganization.
0: Okay. So in other words, the observation, uh, is not just, uh, like in many trauma therapies to pay attention to whether the person is activated or not. But is paying attention to whether the system is trying to organize or not or in what way.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and one of the main tools that I really am hoping to, uh, encourage people to use a lot is really counter to a kind of somatic uh, approach or mm-hmm. at <laughs> least at first looks, uh, counter to a somatic approach. You know, and when, when we were first starting this, you know, sort of in the, in, you know, you know, back in the previous millennium, uh, you know <laughs> um, you know it was magic. People would begin to focus on sensation and do sensation practice and magical things and reorganizations and you know visions and uh, you know uh, great experiences happen um, sometimes and uh, and so this whole opening. And uh, really, in the in the face of a kind of the the analytic uh, tsunami that was happening in in, uh, in 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 psychiatry, you know, was this this work brought about surely by the you know the innovation of mindfulness through you know Zen coming into the United States, the human potential movement on the West Coast, and so on, and um, and and I began to really question what is it that makes something really helpful and. And the stabilization was a necessary precondition, and what I found to be stabilizing for folks was to actually not pay attention to the body sometimes,
0: mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. actually
1: okay. actually really make sure that we have a mindfulness of the environmental condition. So
0: that, that begs in a way the question of what are you paying attention to? So when we're talking about paying attention to not the trauma, not the body, you know, not necessarily the body, and you're talking about the system, whether it's reorganizing itself or not, in practice, what's it like?
1: Yes, I, I propose that people use what I call orientation more and define it uh, sort of provisionally but temporarily uh, as the stabilization sets in as connecting to the environment through the senses you know the the uh for those of us who have done meditation for a bunch of years you know we really you know we are asked to come in we sit still and then we we track uh largely the inner experience or breath or however we we're, we're taught and um and and in therapy we're often guided to pay attention especially to emotion and all of that is interior experience but uh what i find is that this orientation is connecting to the environment through the senses is a necessary precondition because otherwise people have, can have a, a frank dissociative experience. That is, if, if we don't know where we are, if we don't have a, a real connection to the environment, you know, I, it's, it's really dubious what level of mindfulness we have. So yeah, that, that's foundational, it seems to me.
0: So in other words, uh, literally be here now.
1: Yes, and and obviously being here now is is fundamental to the biology. Trauma uh, and other stress means the biology is responding as if it's not in the now. And uh, so I can facilitate my biology's responsiveness to this moment if I can bring the attention actually to some degree in a in a in a baseline fashion into the environment itself, because then my my brainstem get to, gets a chance I think for the uh, what Portis calls that, neuroceptive capacity to say, oh yeah, actually I, I don't need to be in fight or flight or freeze. I'm actually in this place and this time, and it's pleasant and no need for emergency responses. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, in some way, a grounding that's about, but it's not just a grounding. It's, it's more important than simply a grounding as a means to an end, but it's becoming, in a way, part of the essence of the treatment itself.
1: Yes, indeed, and and part of the reason that we have to focus early on and give skills toward that external attending, which is which is the opposite, you know, of the work of internal attending or interoception that's that's uh, so popular in the somatic field now. Um, that is the attention into the external environment uh gives a feedback response into my system that lets me know here and now in this environment but it also does something else that's really important which is that it short circuits uh the the repetitive patterns of you know of threat response if people just go inside and start tracking you know how it is when you first start to sit and meditate you know it's like okay now I'm going to I'm going to sit and relax and and you sit for a moment and then it's like oh man my knee really hurts and then and then it's like oh did I did I send that email and Oh my gosh! I forgot to call Serge back on the phone, and right, that all of the all of the things that are problematic begin to bubble to the surface, and that that what what Hanson calls a negativity bias is really an issue for us, and that negativity bias as an, a kind of addiction to intensity uh, really fouls our ability to be in a balanced state. And so just by attending to the external environment more and developing a habit of that, we begin to short-circuit that kind of feedback loop. So in a way,
0: what happens traditionally is we leave a void. And in that void, the old habits are engulfed, which is essentially uh, the fears and the negativity loop about paying attention to danger. And what you're suggesting is instead of leaving this void, is that actually an active uh, orientation or paying attention to our environment in a, in a certain way.
1: Yes, yes, and many times uh, somatic therapists are taught to stabilize people or resource people, but that's many times by directing attention to, say, a, a positively associated, uh, you know, feeling or sensation. Like, oh, okay, now feel your feet on the ground or feel your butt in the chair or, you know, uh, think of your safe place or something like that, which in some ways uh, are 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 are, um, uh, especially if you're going to like an imaginary safe place, is trying to counterbalance a dissociative tendency with further dissociation. It's just a positive dissociation. So instead, I find it much more helpful and realistic to actually get the attention into material reality a little bit and see, uh, see how the system responds to that.
0: But so, for instance, uh, saying pay attention to your feet on the ground and your butt on the chair, would that be part of the continuum you're talking
1: about or are you talking about
0: something different?
1: I, I train people to do what I call a pre-association conversation. To me, directed attention has to be, uh, has a role in stabilization, but it has a role also in relationship to non-directed attention. Organic intelligence and the idea of organic intelligence is, that I want to do this free association conversation so that the psyche and the biology gets to speak on its own terms without being sort of shoved around by, oh, now feel your feet, now feel your butt, now look at this, now think of this. You know, uh, the system will dance to our tune if, if if we ask it to, but better if we, I think, can... Um, listen to the tune of the system that's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what, what's an example? What would give us a flavor of what that free
0: association conversation might be like?
1: Well, in the context of orientation, it would be this, um, uh, like a, a, an invitation that that would say something like, "Okay, so in this moment, what if we just um, just let your eyes go where they want to go?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just let your eyes go where they want to go." And that, and, and in that one sentence, again, it's uh, you know the the attention to the, the the verbal communication is key, the implications. But it's it says the thing to be doing is letting or allowing. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And it's really different than saying, oh, look around the room. Let the eyes go where they want to go. And it also mm-hmm. implies that maybe the eyes want to go someplace that I might not think of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and put, at, to put
0: uh, it in context, um, um, is there something that might happen at any time? Or is the, for instance, in traditional trauma terms, is this person activated at that moment? Is this person not activated? Or just doesn't matter where they are?
1: Yes, well, the the constraint really is then the, the level of rapport and the attunement in the relationship at that point. But if the attunement allows, uh, then I would say we could use that anytime time because... That person needs to develop a skill of getting the attention out into the environment and needs to develop a relationship with the non-voluntary. That that letting or allowing the body uh, in a way that gives a positive feedback frame, that's really important. Many times, to me, the error that many somatic therapists make is that the client will come in and they'll say, oh, I feel anxious, and the therapist will say, where do you feel that in the body? Right, right. And then it that... Going inward to the body immediately gets associated with discomfort it It may get you know discharge. it may you know come down after a while, but that immediate entree into the body experience is tagged then with a, a negative affect and I, that's that's uh that's problematic for me.
0: Client comes in and say i'm feeling anxious yeah is the answer then let your eyes wander where they might want to go, or uh, you know, just I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but to check to have a sense of in contrast to that, what what how would you handle it?
1: Well, the, you're you're right on. I mean, that's that's that question of attunement. You know, I'm, I I'll tell people that there there are basically t- kind of two rails that the organic intelligence train runs on, and one is being able to shepherd the in, these uh, intrinsic cycles of arousal, de-arousal. And importantly, in a positive reinforcement frame, that is, you know, when I, when I breathe in, the heart rate goes up. When I breathe out, the heart rate goes down. On both sides of that equation of arousal, de-arousal, it's positive. It's pleasant. Yeah. And so shifting the trauma framework to a positive reinforcement frame is really important. And most of the uh, trauma work that's guided by content, by the traumatic event, by arousal, by activation, does, uh, something different, which is negative reinforcement. And negative reinforcement is it feels so much better after it stops feeling worse. Right. So if you track activation, you get discharge, boy, that feels so much better, but that's, that's negative reinforcement. And, and it, it does this really unfortunate, uh, it creates this unfortunate dilemma because the conditioning ultimately s- is something like you gotta feel worse in order to feel better.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, obviously, there is feeling much worse, but it also applies in the titration approaches, which is go just a little bit so you feel just a little bit worse in a way that you can manage, and then you come back, so it still exists there
1: indeed uh, and i 'm suggesting a uh, a change to that yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, organic intelligence really says if you get foundational skills of, of orientation established and then stabilizing the the access and attention to positively associated experience and sensation, image, affect, and meaning—that that you can actually build in that positive reinforcement frame, where consistently by gaining capacity, you can you can walk your way through uh, successive layers of intensity with the same quality of pleasure as breathing in and breathing out. <laughs> no, remaining in a positive reinforcement frame, and but by the way, to get back to the other question about orientation, within if a person comes in and says, "I feel anxious," I would the the other rail that I was talking about, in addition to the shepherding these cycles, is attunement. And so, if a person comes in and says, "I feel really anxious," I would be prone to then explore that with them. so, oh, you feel anxious? How come? And when did this start? And I'm going to begin to explore that experience with them. Because, in addition to that negative experience, uh, the, uh, the organic intelligence says there's also going to be this positive. And through exploring their associations to this, there will be what there will show up with enough stabilization. There will show up what Jung called the polaristic structure of the psyche, which means they'll talk about uh, this negative thing, and then it'll shift to something that is more positive. And then I will reinforce strategically there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I came in. Uh, you know, when did this start? Uh, you know, it started like early this morning, you know, when I got up and I I realized my day was going to be so full. And I just thought, oh, man, how am I going to get through all of this? And then I might say, so so what did you answer yourself? How, how did you say you're going to get through this? Well, I don't know. I just thought, well, I have another cup of coffee. And I, Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. How was it? Oh, it was great. You know, I made this. And boom, we're off, right? We we go to the other side in that way. So it's attuning to the person and the content that they bring and then selectively reinforcing around those aspects of their psychic production, their associative network, that are going to be disproportionately organizing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh maybe to bring it back to, to another trauma model, uh, this is not the same thing as saying uh, you work more in resourcing uh, because it's, it's not just working more in resourcing in order to allow some of the forays into the activation. But this is simply something about reinforcing not just the resourcing but the capacity of the nervous system to organize so that it then has the ability to handle the disorganizing task or the disorganizing situation.
1: Wow, that's perfect. Yes, yes. Let's do that. Let's do more of that. Right? Yeah. A resourcing. What I, what I find is that many times you're you're right. It's like people are resourcing as a means to an end. Oh, we gotta we gotta throw some some uh, water of resources on the fire of trauma somehow so that we okay. can get the person out without being damaged too much. This is something completely different. You know, this is really. Seeing the, the intrinsic unfolding that can happen if we, uh, be, if we become more interested in that organizational impulse.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, maybe the same way as you gave me an example of what happens with a guy who comes in with anxiety, you know, what's it like uh, in somebody who has trauma to notice some of that organizing impulse and how is it to bring it to the situation? I'm assuming that when you notice it, uh, it's going to be small enough that it's not going to be directly applicable to the trauma itself or so. So how do you notice it? How do you build it up? How does it progressively build up to have enough power in a way to overcome the trauma?
1: Well, I thought it's so key uh, because, um, because one, I think, uh, you know, in as I began to work with people, um, I think, uh, trauma is an epidemic now. And you probably agree, but um, because trauma isn't just the the traumatic events that we think of, our, our systems are much more stressed than we are recognized. We're just we're just immune to the chronic nature of our stress, and, and part of that I think is is due to our really uh, pathetic uh overall uh attachment scenarios you know uh and 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 just being in civilization you know we our species is in this kind of nemo moment where we are <clears throat> you know we we're not in our traditional environment anymore uh, and um, we are we are absent our traditional environment our tribal structure our hunter gatherer situation. You know, and, and we are suffering basically, I think at at baseline, we're suffering the effects of our accidental self domestication. And then trauma is like the tip of the iceberg on that. So in other words, there's a sense
0: of, um, the, we have in a way a trauma, a general trauma about our species that's been transplanted, uh, from our natural universe, uh, in such a way that we live um, under conditions where some of the side effects are going to be what we call trauma.
1: Yes, indeed. And, and, and I would think of a, a broader definition of trauma as being simply nervous system disorganization or, or desynchronization, mm-hmm. nervous system desynchrony. And, and yeah, we, you, know, you have to look not very far at all to see the devastating societal impacts of you know, social disintegration.
0: So in other words, when somebody has a trauma where the classical approach is to say this event precipitated a disorganization of the system, you're more of the school of thought that we are predisposed to uh, being in a way activated by certain events, but the disorganization or the predisposition to disorganization is already there. So the event is only the proximal cause in some way.
1: That's right, and 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 even the event may not even be the proximal cause. It may just be the cause that we think it is. You, you remember no. this no. this great uh, uh, this great experiment from Gazaniga's lab, where people had the corpus callosum cut, mm-hmm. you know, and they were asked in one channel to to do something. Like the the experimenter would say in the left channel, "I'd like you to wave," and so the person starts to wave, and the experimenter in the other channel says, "Why are you waving?" And they say, oh, because I thought I saw somebody I knew. And then, you know, and and then in the left channel, they'll go, okay, I'd like you to do this behavior. I'd like you to laugh. They start to laugh. In the right channel, the experimenter says, why are you laughing? And the person says, oh, because you're such a funny guy, right? We, we have no idea really why we're doing what we're doing. And and the brain has a different agenda. The, The biology has a different agenda other than telling us what is commonly, you know, thought of as the truth. And so we have to decode really the nature of biological functioning in order to get a handle on you know what what the biology is up to at any given moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so this the focus on trauma is a focus on disorganization in effect, and is probably not even a, a may not even be a, a relevant proximal cause and and what I find is and this this sort of uh, confirms this in clinical practice, which is if you begin with stabilization, there's a there's a whole protocol. I call uh, organic intelligence an implicit exposure model that uses this mindfulness and positive psychology to reframe and re-experience uh, you know uh, the the one's experience in a positive reinforcement framework. And what that what that means, practically speaking, is <clears throat> that by the time you get up to the point of explicit content, you've already worked the pre. Uh, <clears throat> the previous cycles that are quite gentle and, and often then the explicit content that comes out of that, uh, that free association conversation isn't even the big trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, isn't, it, it isn't the birth trauma. It isn't the, uh, the attachment issue. It's not the, you know, the high impact car event or the head, uh, you know, the head injury or whatever. It's often like a near miss. So it, when, when the organi- organism itself begins to, Uh, Reorganize, it produces different content and I believe the aim of that, uh, that experience is to give the system an easy chance to rise up to the next threshold of intensity and deactivate, to learn and grow, to do this workout. Without you know overstressing the uh, the neuro uh, the neurology's muscular system. So so I want to use that analogy of the workout because uh,
0: uh, in a way the analogy of the workout is something that we use often in the trauma the, the you know the progressive exposure the uh, you know the, the the resourcing and then the titration pendulation type approach because we really can see it as progressive exposure and progressive strengthening. Uh, in this case, it's not about pain makes you stronger, but in a way, pleasure and positive reinforcement makes you stronger. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so maybe, could you maybe mention some examples of, of how it happens, what it looks like, what it feels like, uh, you know, in the, in the course of a treatment or a session?
1: Well, it's, it's basically a simple attunement of, of the, uh, of the therapist to the aspects of the person's experience, uh, which are both pleasant, pleasing, positive, and negative. And and in fact, those are the the two things that we're talking about now, the orientation as connecting to the environment through the senses and the the ability of the attention to reside with some neutrality around pleasure. Those two things are absolutely the the best um, assessments of organismic resiliency. -hmm. So, if you want to check and see how resilient a nervous system is that you're working with, then gauge how well the attention and how sort of readily and effortlessly the attention can engage the external environment. And then secondly, how well can it engage positive affect? And how long, how well can it hold positive affect, including in sensation, positive sensation experience? And the answer to those two questions will give you a very powerful Kind of a uh, better read on how resilient that nervous system is
0: mm-hmm. so let 's take the case of somebody who is in general you know resilient well engaged connected, has a sense of humor, but in a way on some topics on some areas in some situations kind of gets into uh you know tense and uh, rigid and limited mode uh, you know into that uh, you know traditional sense of traumatized by saying.
1: Yep. Well, I don't know who that would be. I just uh, you know. Um, so you know, uh maybe the best example. I've got uh I've got online. Uh, I did a uh when my daughter who's going to be turning 9 this weekend, she's here now. Uh Jada, when she was 3, we were at the San Diego airport mm-hmm. and we were going to uh, Glacier National Park from San Diego. And um because I wanted my my kids to see glaciers, and so, um. Yeah, you right. don't
0: see them for much longer.
1: Right? Exactly. It's really a motivating force behind the, what we're doing, I think. Um, the, the, uh, uh we were at the fountain. There's a, a terminal two in the San Diego airport. There's a fountain and people had put coins in there and stuff. And naturally, flowing water, you know, that this is the most interesting thing in an airport, of course. And so, uh, Jada was there and she looked up at me with this look like, i 'm doing something i 'm not supposed to, and what are you going to do about it and And even without you know i 'm a trained clinical observer, even without knowing exactly what was going on, I just said don't <laughs> 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 that 's my parenting style and so uh, and so but then she got this look like my airway is blocked, and I immediately grabbed her and turned her upside down and gave her very supportive, you know, pats uh, between the shoulder blade and her, her airway cleared. Uh, long story short, uh, about 1130 that night, uh, we were in uh, San Diego Children's Hospital, and they did a general anesthesia and went out and took out of her uh, trachea, out of her throat, not one but two pennies, mm-hmm. uh, which which remain uh, the two most expensive pennies in all of San Diego County. Um, and then the next morning, uh, Jade and I were having breakfast, pancakes, her favorite breakfast, and, um, and she began to do this, this reenactment of this choking. She began to go, ah, and do this choking thing. But since we were going on vacation, I had a video camera and I turned it on. And so I got, I got the interaction that she and I did over six and a half minutes uh, in which she went through sort of the, the progress of fight, flight, freeze, and then coming back into ventral vagal or social engagement. And and so I put that online. It's at the JadaVideo.com. Mm-hmm. And what you'll see in that video is that Jada runs through her resources. They arise from Jada naturally. And she'll go, Mommy's swimming. Mommy's swimming. Because her mom was swimming. And then she'd talk about her brother, Jacob, and her friend, Julia, swimming with mommy. And, and she just runs through those. And as I just reflect those resources back to her, because she is fairly resourced, then she was able to increase those levels of intensity, what I call these intensity thresholds. The workout began. And as she began to be stronger, the intensity increased all the way through sympathetic arousal and then into the dorsal, in, into the freeze system. And then worked through the dissociative aspects of freeze, all in this really positive, affectively toned process. As underneath, you can see like, you can see like her face expressing negative emotion. Consciously, she was having an enjoyable experience while unconsciously her system was processing these cycles of increasing intensity. So that might be a great example. The jadavideo.com, Jada is spelled J-A-D-A. Uh, the jadavideo.com, and that, that will probably make clear to folks uh, what we're talking about. Yes.
0: So, so, so there's that sense of, um, uh, she might be, you know, in a way, at some level, feeling the intensity of the trauma, quote unquote, yes. and at some other level, be resourced. Yes. And the two are happening at the same time. Absolutely. And uh, in that case, it's brought about by, you know, you're, you're trusting the natural ability of her nervous system to have that organic intelligence, and you're simply helping it.
1: That's right. we uh, speak of it as a sort of midwife, midwifery. Mm-hmm. You know, that system knows exactly what it's doing, and under the right conditions, our biological system will be self-organizing. And I train people to see those self-organizing impulse see the conditions that will get the uh, impulses arising more readily, and then helping people uh, really live within that quality of flow.
0: This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com. Yes. And the two are happening at the same time? Absolutely. And uh, in that case, it's brought about by, you know, you're, you're trusting the natural ability of her nervous system to have that organic intelligence, and you're simply helping it.
1: That's right. Uh, we speak of it as a sort of midwife, midwifery. Mm-hmm. You know, that system knows exactly what it's doing, and under the right conditions, our biological system will be self-organizing. And I train people to see those self-organizing impulses see the conditions that will get the uh, impulses arising more readily, and then helping people uh, really live within that quality of flow.
0: This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.